All right. Thank you so much for joining us on the Connecting Minds podcast again. With great pleasure, I want to announce today's guest. It's David Whitehead. If you don't know who David Whitehead is, he's the host of the Truth Warrior podcast. He's also co-host of the Unslaved podcast with Michael Tessarion. Uh, he's a full-time independent researcher and journalist. He's a martial artist, and he weaves in philosophy, ancient occult knowledge, art history, consciousness studies in his work. And David is also the producer of the amazing docu-series Cult of the Medics. It is an ongoing investigation into the modern medical industrial complex, how it operates, and it and uh, David examines its ancient and occult origins in the series. So to, to, I was just browsing through some of the later episodes today of the Cult of the Medics, and I was supposed to, I was doing a research for something else. So I just clicked through some stuff, and like half an hour later, I'm like mesmerized and just like sucked into this docu-series. I'm like, oh shit, I have other work to do. I got to put the baby to sleep, you know? <laughs> it's really good. The music, everything. David, thank you so much for joining me, bro. Welcome. Thank you, Christian. Um, and really glad to be here, man. Great, great work you're doing. So this will be a thank fun you, chat, I'm sure. All right. So let's just give the audience a little bit about your background, how you got into the type of research that you do, that kind of thing, please. Sure. Uh, I, I was just always a real curious kid uh, growing up, had a lot of questions. Uh, originally, my questions started out of curiosity about religion, because uh, my parents were very religious. We were going to church all the time, and I, you know, going to Sunday school and taking it all in. And, and it really just gave me lots of questions. And so, and I also had friends of mine that came from different religious perspectives. And so I started doing a lot of comparative religious analogy or uh, I guess study, uh, just talking to people, looking up different books. Um, at the same time, I was getting into the world of like mythology, philosophy, history, just always was drawn magnetically to that. And that was the foundation of my curious, the curiosity that I still have today about a lot of these big questions. And at the same time I was doing that research, I was very much into the martial art world. You know, I started in karate at the age of nine and my senseis were also deeply philosophical people. Like they would uh, always have big thoughts and big questions. And so I grew up in that environment. And then when I started growing up and moving out of the house and getting jobs and trying to pursue a career, I was just shocked at the lack of curiosity that the average person I spoke to even had about this stuff. Like people just wanted to talk about mundane everyday things and sports and whatever Hollywood was doing. And here I was, you know, this just, I always wanted to know more, you know, what's the next layer, you know, it's gotta be more than this. There's gotta be meaning behind it. And, uh, eventually, you know, certain world events started happening, you know, things like nine 11 and some of these geopolitical things, the wars, you know, going on in the middle East. And it just made me question what's really going on in the political world, you know? Uh, so to cut it all short, I, I was just a curious mind, uh, average guy. I wanted to pursue, a, I originally wanted to pursue a professional fighting career, <clears throat> but kind of moved away from that because I was concerned it would actually interfere with the other areas I was interested in because I'd have to be hyper-focused on that. So I just kept my martial arts going, but moved into a teacher role, opened up my own dojo. My wife and I ran that for many years. And then fast forward to the pandemic that got shut down overnight. Jeez. Um, I had also been doing some work with History Channel, going back and forth to Hollywood, 
doing some of the fun subjects like ancient aliens and unexplained and that kind of stuff. And then, so I lost two careers in the blink of an eye when the pandemic hit because the lockdowns destroyed my dojo overnight, I lost 70% of my income. I couldn't travel back and forth between Canada and the US because of the mandates. Uh, so I lost that. And so it drove me to do, I've been doing this podcast, just sort of, you know, interviewing different people that I found interesting. And I've been doing it more part-time as a hobby. And I went, okay, well now I have to go full-time with this because it's, it's all I've got. I've invested so much research and time into it. Um, finding a regular job would have probably killed me. So <laughs> I just went full-time into the podcast, started doing interviews with different rogue doctors that were breaking away from the consensus trance going on in the medical world. I'd been working with Michael Tessarian, as you were mentioning, on Unslaved. And so we were collecting a really good archive of information on that were related to the subject I cover in Cult of the Medics, but I hadn't quite put it all together in my mind, right? It's so big. If you've watched the series, we cover so much more than just the medical system. Yeah. I just realized that when you start putting all these puzzle pieces together that seem separate and isolated, a really interesting picture emerges and it actually just started to make more sense of this crazy world, right? Mm. So that's the work I do. I do podcasts. Uh, I have my own podcast called Truth Warrior I do once a week. I do a, a really uh, a popular show on Badlands Media on Rumble with Josh Reed. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, we, it's called Earth Chronicles. We explore a lot of this stuff. And then I do this work with Michael Tessarian. It's very philosophic and um, very uh, oriented deep. towards finding solutions and deep. Yeah. So deep, I like bro. the deep stuff. And yeah, man. so that's what I do. I produce my own content. And we're at the point now, man, where people like you and me, we're the new media. Because the mainstream media has been lying and gaslighting us for so long. People are seeing it. Their ratings are falling. And more people are coming to shows like this to learn about what's going on than they are turning into CNN or CTV News or whatever. So uh, I now see this as it's not a hobby anymore. This is something that's very important, very relevant. And uh, I'm honored to do it. Yeah, your, your name is very fitting, Truth Warrior, because it truly is a battle that we are waging or a war even. Oh yeah, that is. And you know, it's funny about that name. I was, uh, I, I needed a, a name for my show. I didn't have a name for my show. I was just like, uh, I think my first YouTube channel, I was just some guy named Dave. <laughs> and, um, and the guy went, I went on American freedom or it was Amer yeah, American freedom radio in like 2009 or 10. And they were like, you need a name for your show. And I'm like, ah, well, I want something to do with warrior, you know, cause I do martial arts. I bring the warrior stuff. And he's like, well, why not Truth Warrior, you know? So I went, hey, that's a good one. So it kind of stuck because, yeah, we're, I'm not saying I have the truth. It's, it's that's the quest. That's what yeah. we're looking for yeah, is yeah, we yeah. want to find out what the truth. And if you want to find the truth in a world that's full of lies and deception, you're going to need the spine of a warrior to Hells accompany yeah. you on that journey, right? So for I guess sure, it's kind of fitting. Yeah, actually, I, I did my first uh, Thai boxing fight, amateur C-class at the age of 30. Oh, good for you, man. Yeah, dude. Trained for one year, hit 30. I was my on my bucket list. I'm like, if I don't do it when I'm 30, when I'm, when else am I gonna do it? <laughs> when I'm 40 and get like break like some bones. So oh, I know. Good. How for you. how is your do just before we get into the the deep stuff? How is your dojo doing out nowadays? Is it just shut well, down it, it, or? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's been closed for the last three years, and the the location. See, I live in a very small remote town. And there's very few options for getting that kind of commercial space. 
rented. And, um, so I've been looking this entire time and hadn't found anything. And I'm actually yeah. in the process as we speak of, uh, getting set up again in a new location that I hopefully can open again in April. That's the plan. So hopefully I'm back into the business. I'm turning 41 now, so wow. I got to do something to keep me, keep me young and healthy. And I, I, you know what I think it is, man, is there's a desire that I have to, first of all, I didn't want to retire. I mean, this has been yeah. a part of my life forever. And I also think we need to repair a lot of broken people and what better way than the knowledge that's contained within the warrior tradition, the martial arts, like when done properly, you can help to repair your community psychologically, physically, introduce people to true health. Yeah. And, you know, and, and which is, is mind, body, spirit. It's about being proactive and exercise and uh, healthy in your mind and everything. And so that's what I want to do. So it, I'm, I'm making a comeback. It's coming soon. That's amazing, bro. Like I, I, I wish you all the best of luck. I, I've trained in some uh, clubs and um, it's really, it's hard, it's hard to run the business. It's uh, obviously not very profitable. You read the guys are always doing it for the love of the game. And I noticed because I've been training maybe since the age of 22 or so on and off that a lot of kids, I, I, I was living in Dublin when I was training in Ireland and there was a lot of quote unquote scumbaggy type kids, you know, from inner city that they were labeled as not, I, I wasn't labeling them that, but they started training and then they just, they became more respectful guys and they, they, I, I literally have I've been in dozens of fights. When I started training Thai boxing, I hadn't have not been in a fight since then, since the age of twenty two at all. So wow. it's, it's amazing work that you know guys like you are doing. And yeah, you know, I, I Godspeed, brother, Godspeed. Oh, thank you. No, we need it. They need it. These young people need it. It's the amount of barrage on their psyche right now with just absolute nonsense, disempowering, anti-human, all this stuff. Like we got to get that out and bring in the true spirit of the warrior. We got to bring that back. So that's what my mission is. I've been trying to do that a bit on my show, like just bringing the philosophy in because there's yeah. so much philosophy from the warrior tradition that most people don't even know. Mm -hmm. They always go to religion, you know, mm -hmm. they, they always go there for the, they go to the priests for, for truth. Whereas that you're probably finding more lies than truth. Whereas the warrior class was separate because they were the ones actually seeing and confronting evil directly face to face, eye to eye. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be like, why hasn't our culture, gone back to these warriors to listen to what they had to say about how to route out evil and tyranny and injustice and how to bring the truth forward. You know, what's more honest and truthful than that tie fight that you did? You know, like what's, yeah. you have to be so honest and truthful with yourself every day on the mat that it starts to rinse out the lies that you tell yourself. <laughs> and if we have more yeah. people that are operating from that place and also have the confidence and the, and the humility simultaneously, we could turn this this sort of twisted culture, the perversion that we're seeing happen, we could turn it around. So that's the mission. Yeah, I think we we know, you and me, we know that there's a reason why this warrior sort of uh, mentality has been weeded out of society. It, there's a reason oh, yeah. because they don't want warrior types. I love the Zen sort of saying or whatever it is, a quote, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. So... That's, That's a good one. I got to do like a t-shirt of that or something. I love that <laughs> quote. It's so fitting, that. isn't it? Yeah. Right now, man, we need to be both right now, I feel. Mm. Oh, good all point. Right. Yeah. Bro, let's all right, let's get let's get deep into the let's do into it. the dirty into the bowels of of the of the 
beast. <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk about your so your docu series, Cult of the Medics. Now, just I have to admit, I've not watched all of them. I started watching. I, th- I think I watched two, maybe October last year, November. I downloaded like three or four at the time. But life gets away with me with a small kid, and I had a full time at the job. Uh, I had a full time job at the time. But um, I know enough from listening to you. Uh, you know, to Tassarion, to other podcasts. I I love Gary Wayne, who's um, uh, who's been on on Unslaved, and I've listened to listen, dude. Some of the I download a ton of like maybe a hundred and fifty of your episodes, and I have them on my phone with me. And some of them I've listened to four or five times. Like the ones with Gary Wayne could easily have listened to them four or five times. So you and and Michael, you talk about the Knights of Malta, the Cistercians the hospitalers and kind of these orders from times past that they developed into you know what 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 we can like call the controllers nowadays can you maybe develop that who are these orders ancient orders and what what is their role nowadays yeah wow going right into it this is awesome so with this this is kind of a Rubik's cube for people that have never heard this stuff before. So there's so much that I can only sum up bits and pieces as we talk about this. So I just want to tell people like it's, it's difficult to just present it in a podcast. It's even difficult for me to try to put it into a film to try to get the visuals of this stuff. But it's, you know, I've put probably 18 years of my own life into researching this. I know Michael uh, Tassarian, you know, he's put his life into this. And it's, it's really just starting with the question of, do ancient cults and secret societies still exist? I mean, did they exist in the past? I think we can all answer that, that yes, we can look back into history and we can see that history is littered with all of these different, different cults and underground movements and different you know intrigue that's happened politically in different places in the world. We can agree that that's the case. Uh, the question of continuity is where I think people have problems. It's like, well, if these guys were talking about chivalric orders that were, you know, started in the medieval period, you know, what do they have to do with today? And that's where I have to build the film and try to show the connections and say, look, they haven't gone away. These ancient cults and these priesthoods and these brotherhoods and these sisterhoods, they haven't gone away. Just like Many of the religions that we see in the world today that are ancient and have roots in the ancient past haven't gone away. So that's a good place to start with people is just literally establishing the basic premise that these ancient cults and secret orders and elite fraternity groups absolutely existed. They still exist. And then the next question is, do they have any kind of power or influence in today's affairs? And I would say the theory that we're presenting is that, yes, they absolutely do. And not just with a bunch of vague connections, but very specific connections. You can look at the financial ties. You can look at the fact that these groups, they have sort of adopted this ancient knowledge into their belief system. And you can actually see that by the way of the symbolism that they use, by the way that their organizations are set up, by the worldview that these types of groups have. And of course, the groups we're talking about, like the Knights of Malta and whatnot, they stem out of the Vatican. And if you really want to go down the sort of conspiracy rabbit hole, 
Uh, by the way, shout out to all the conspiracy theorists. You guys are batting a thousand. <laughs> We're all batting a thousand right now. But, um, you know, the, the, you look at that history of the Vatican and the Roman Empire and how it all came up and how it got corrupted, because I'm not saying it was all bad, but it got corrupted over time. What corrupted it? What corrupts these civilizations uh, or these empires to the point where they eventually get destroyed and then re born in another guise somewhere else, which is what I think has happened. You start with these chivalric orders, these knightly orders. Everybody's familiar with the Templars. They're the ones that get all the press. But there's an interesting history there. And really quickly, there was the famous rivalry between the Knights Templars and the Knights Hospitallers. They used to call themselves the Hospitallers, which is obviously the root word for where we get hospital. Mm -hmm. And the reason these Knights Hospitallers were who they were was because they were the official military order of the Catholic Church, of the Vatican mm -hmm. at that time. And, um, and maybe really quickly, I'll just say, when I talk about the Vatican as an institution and the creatures that inhabit it, I'm not here to indict people's faith or their Christianity or whatever. Most Catholics are well under, unaware of what really goes on there. But mm -hmm. when you look at the insiders that we've referenced in, uh, I think it's chapter, yeah, chapter six of Cult of the Medics is, is a deep dive into who are the Knights Hospitallers, who are the Templars, who is this Vatican, what's going on? And I rely on a lot of insiders from the Vatican, you know, people like Malachi Martin, Baron Avril Manhattan, who was an Italian aristocrat, who was a Knight of Malta. And by the way, they call themselves the Knight of, Knights of Malta later on, they were originally the Knights Hospitallers. Mm. And so the, the rivalry between the Hospitallers and the Templars is important because the Templars sort of rebelled against the Catholic Church and started to create their own uh, industry, their own, they were the first uh, international bankers of the world. They accrued a lot of power and wealth during the Crusades. They started to get uh, you know, pretty big and the Catholic Church thought, hey, these Templars are getting too big for their britches. We got to keep them in check or they're going to challenge our power. And so there was a bit of a falling out there. And then they rounded up the head Templars, you know, the executions. And then a lot of the Templars escaped to Switzerland and, and Scotland and other places and went underground and formed a lot of these underground secret networks. And what was unique about the Templars specifically was that they, during the Crusades, they had formed different liaisons with Eastern groups, Eastern occult elite groups that were there. In the, in the Far East and the Middle East and the Far East. And they had taken a lot of that knowledge within their own order. And it was knowledge of a lot of different things, like how to build industry, how to build a civilization, how to build uh, an empire, how to, you know, how to take power, how to build an economy, all these different things. And they adopted that knowledge in, they were also tremendously wealthy. And Yet when they got disbanded, all of history thinks, oh, the Templars are a thing of the past. They're just sort of a, a decoration now. But the truth is a lot of those Templars were actually absorbed into the Knights Hospitallers later on because the Hospitallers didn't go anywhere. Mm. And so to fast forward today, when you're talking Templars, Hospitallers, Knights of Malta, they're all basically the same at this point. They've all sort of, it's been like a corporate merger that's happened. Mm. And so the Hospitallers became the Knights of Malta because they were basically forced to flee a lot of different areas. They were the Knights of Rhodes. They were the, all these different areas. And then they settled in Malta, I think, for strategic purposes, as well as uh, they looked at the place in Malta as a holy place. 
And when you go to Malta, there's nothing but shrines and buildings and the history of these Malta knights all over the place. Of course, they glorify them as like the progenitors of Western civilization and the protectors and defenders of the, all these things. Yeah. But there's a dark side to that, like everything. Yeah. And it could be that many of the original founding knights or groups were very benevolent and did have good intentions. But there are many indications that this was the, these orders were infiltrated by very dark occultists who had sort of raided all of the archives of the occult knowledge throughout the world and decided to use that knowledge to obtain power. And uh, one of the number one ways that these hospitalers became wealthy and, and powerful was that they founded the first hospitals, hotels, and hostels. They started mm -hmm. in you know Jerusalem, the Middle East, and then they started to expand that. And they found out that they could become tremendously wealthy, influential, and powerful, <clears throat> both socially and politically, by being the the be-all and end-all of the health system. So they created the place where you go to be born and the place where you go to die. Mm. And um, so they, in one sense, would be the caretakers, but in another sense, they were like the mafia, where now you <laughs> owed them. And this yeah. became a, 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 good, uh, a good little shell game that they could play for centuries. And they gained so much power that way that I believe they became the most powerful cult on the planet. You know, or maybe maybe one of the branches of the ugly tree of what I think is the ultimate powerful cult that really runs the whole show. But they were a huge part of it because without the medics, they couldn't appeal to the popular mind. They couldn't. It would look like a criminal organization. So they had to offer the carrot on the stick and say, hey, come to us with your sick, dying and needy and we will give you rest. And right to this day, they're looked at as being this you know, philanthropic organization that just goes out and, and helps with foreign aid and they help kids in Africa and they're looking yeah. for cures to disease. Meanwhile, these are the ultimate peddlers of disease. These mm. are the merchants of death. And that's what the track record shows. So when today people are talking about, if we bring it up to the modern era, when they talk about big pharma, when they talk about the big international banksters, and when they talk about, you know, groups like the World Economic Forum and all this kind of stuff, those are literally public relations groups that represent these people. These are the real progenitors. And it's because they already had power before our modern century even began. They already had the wealth and the power. They'd already conquered the world 10 times over. They'd already, you know, you think of the British Empire and the East India Company and all of that. You'll see it's the same players, the same people, the same influences uh, that I believe stem from uh, these Vatican occultists. Uh, and there's many other groups and competing factions and all that, but it's such a crazy history and a big story that I try to tell people all you need to know without getting too specific right now yeah. is that none of these ancient secret societies went away. They simply morphed and changed over time. Sometimes they're wearing one costume and saying that they're this group. Another time they're wearing a different costume and saying they're that group. They work between all the different political factions. So it doesn't matter who you're voting for. You've got their guys in the, installed. And, um, you know, it brings you, it brings up groups in the modern time, like the club of Rome, which is something I focus on a lot. I get into the work of well, Michael Tessarian. He, he did a lot on that. And also uh, Dr. John Coleman was a big one that mm. did a lot on the Club of Rome and what it was trying to do, what its true mm. agenda was. And when you find out that organizations like the Club of Rome, which 
had a lot of influence on the minds of today's globalists, the today's Western oligarchs. You just start to realize, well, the Club of Rome, who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the Knights of Malta. We're talking about the real Illuminati, if you want to give it that name. You know, mm. these are the ones that have the knowledge, the power and the influence to basically craft civilization. And um, if, if, the, if the Club of Rome has an open depopulation mandate because they have the whole climate thing and everything else, you start asking that question, well, now everybody's thinking of Bill Gates and they're thinking about what's going on with this pandemic and all that. You go, yeah, but that has an origin. That didn't just start in 2020. That didn't start with the CCP party of China. That didn't start with Klaus Schwab. Yeah. These are just little ripple effects of what I'm talking about that lies underneath all of that. And so it's a, it's a deep investigation into history, into the connections, into the ideology. And I look at it like these people are part of a religion, a private religion that most people are not aware of. We're all fighting over our little religions on the surface over here, but deep behind it are the progenitors of these different traditions and they have their own faith and that they have excluded themselves from the rest of humanity. So they're essentially, I look at them as a breakaway civilization, a great, a breakaway group hmm. that sees themselves as separate, superior, and basically the, the stand-ins or the vicars as they call themselves, the vicars of God, the vicars of the gods. Hmm. which means if we go back and just even the use those terms into ancient history, those vicars and priest classes have existed in every civilization throughout time. And what I'm trying to tell people is that stuff didn't go away. That stuff didn't go away. It's, it's just been rebranded and remodeled to fit a more modern context, but make no mistake about it. These secret orders do exist. And I believe they're an existential threat to our civilization, to our freedom, and most importantly to our health. Damn, bro! I think we can end the podcast here. It's, you just <laughs> you just killed it, bro! You just knocked it out of the park. I uh, love that. Yeah, I at one point last year I went on Wikipedia, looked at the the Sovereign Order of Malta's Wikipedia entry, and it's interesting the that they have a, a seat at the United Nations. Mm. Very interesting, and I started looking into like specific members and like a, a in in these uh, orders and stuff, and just a ton of European aristocrats, just that, names who you most people had never have heard, and it just small little entries, some no entries, just like it 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 would be a, take a lifetime to research these people's lineages and track them back and see how it goes. But one question, we will actually get to Club of Rome and sustainable development a bit later. It's a sure. very interesting sort of thread we need to develop. But um, just out of curiosity, where what's your take on what, where, how do the, the Freemasons and the Jesuits sort of fit in the puzzle of these other orders? Oh, yeah. A real good quote comes to mind. I believe it was from James Parton, who's an American historian. Uh, I think uh, he's either late 1800s, early 1900s. And he said... If you trace up masonry to the tip top of the Grand Orient, right, mm -hmm. you'll find at the top that it's the same as the Jesuit order that operates out of the Catholic Church. And many others have made this connection that when you're talking masons, see, and, and I got to say this as well. Most Masons have no idea about how that level of it works. And most are probably just benevolent guys that are just trying to get to a drinking man's club or maybe get a little bit of political influence or whatever. 
I, I'm not going to cast a shadow over every single one, okay? Because most it's so compartmentalized, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you're talking about the European black nobility and the history of the Freemasonic orders, I do this in, I think it's chapter six again. I talk about, or no, it's chapter five. I talk about some quotes that Michael Tessarian had shown me from uh, some of these communications that were going on between European aristocrats and royals that were warning each other behind the scenes about infiltration happening into their ranks. Because a lot of these, not all the monarchs and not all the aristocrats were, but were evil either, I don't believe. I think many were trying to do good. And they realized that their orders and their groups and their clubs were getting infiltrated by some very sinister forces. And so there's some interesting quotes from people like the Duke of Brunswick in the 1700s. He was the head of all German Freemasonry at the time. Some people even say he was even higher than that. And he was basically describing how Freemasonry was being infiltrated by what he called a dark sun cult hmm. that took after the order of the Illuminati, if not that order itself. Like he basically says that word for word. And he said they're very well versed in black magic, hypnotic suggestion, you know, and all these different things. And their desire is for power instead of illumination and knowledge and truth and uplifting humanity. So there, there was many of much of that going on. So when you study Freemasonry, you look at the history, you realize that what it is is a collection of knowledge, ancient knowledge of how to build. Okay. And you can build buildings, you can build culture, you can build civilization, you can build empire, you can build uh, slavery, you can build whatever you want with this knowledge, right? It's just knowledge. It's not evil. It's not good. But people using it realized that this kind of knowledge is extremely powerful politically. And so obviously the guys, the guarding the gates uh, within these orders eventually got overtaken and either manipulated or routed out. And it got turned into essentially a compartmentalized mafia where it was a criminal mafia and it was no longer working for benevolent purposes. So just to put that on the Freemasonry. And then when you're talking about the Jesuits, they've been expelled from, I don't know, what is it, 83 different European countries. Like when I went to England to uh, visit the Tower of London and go look around some of the ancient structures, you see the Jesuit symbols carved into the prison cells in there because they were wow. held captive by many of these monarchs who saw them as an existential threat and, and, and many others. And again, not everybody, but there was certain groups of them that clearly had a, a political mandate to take over the seats of political power and influence it towards the aims of the church at that time. And even with the church, there's like the front surface page of the church. And then there's like, you get into the black Pope and the society of Jesus, all these different groups, the Nazarenes and the, you know, the ancient cults. And you realize, wow, there's, there's something very ancient here that never went away. And uh, so there's, and even the Templars, you bring in the Templars, there's a Templar connection to Freemasonry that many Freemasons would never admit either, being that all the symbols and all the, there's even some of the top ranks, I believe it's in the Scottish Rite that has, they're all Templar degrees, even the white gloves and the handshakes and the whole thing, it all comes from that. So mm -hmm. there are connective tissues between Templars, Vatican, Jesuits, Knights of Malta, uh, Freemasonry. There, there, these are just sort of the the different places that I believe maybe were very positively oriented that got infiltrated by some very dark, sinister people. 
And so it's from that point that we pick up the time and look at it and go, you wonder why all your political, your politicians are all bought and paid for and don't give a shit about your country? Yeah, because they're installed by people like this. Uh, you want to know why your intelligence agencies are all, basically the intelligence agencies were all created by people who were members of the Knights of Malta and some of these Freemasonic orders, right? Mm. And you, they're all working, I think, for these geopolitical elites and are not necessarily representing the people. Yeah. Uh, our, our economic system has been hijacked. Our, um, you know, on and on, the military industrial complex, the pharma. So you, you start to wonder what is... What happened to create the state of the world as it is, where essentially it's organized crime at every level? And that's why I go into this history. Otherwise, it would just be a dry history lesson, right? I go Mm -hmm. into it because I go, oh, well, these were the guys that were expert at doing that in the ancient past. And lo and behold, their organization still exists today. As you said, Knights of Malta, sovereign, meaning they truly have immunity legally uh, they sit as a nation on the United Nations Council. And you wonder why your pharma has immunity from prosecution. If you ever mm. take a jab and you get injured, they get immune from, well, it's because that's a lineage that carries into the people that created pharma, right? So you put all that together and you realize, wow, there's an occult war going on on the planet. And my question is, has it been going on for a longer time than maybe we can imagine? I believe so. I believe that what that's what we're witnessing and we're seeing the effects of this occult war happening right in front of our eyes right now. Mm. You did earlier on, you said dark, dark occultist and you mentioned black magic. Just for folks that are not deep into this kind of research, can you, what, how do you define a dark occultist? What is black magic? It's not exactly what the cartoon Disney representation is is it no hey good good question i i did this in chapter nine the the latest chapter that's out where i talk about this where anything that is if you read people like manly p hall or um some of these other guys who were masons who who had access to some of this information and these people and realized there was something very dark going on he would be considered to me like one of the whistleblowers as well as many others who were warning about dark occultists, people, people that were using black magic, and he would define it. And it would basically be, if you're using the forces of nature or the knowledge of human consciousness and symbolism and, and even uh, all these magical traditions, if you use that to obtain spiritual enlightenment or uplifting of humanity and upgrading of humanity, then that would be the white magic. That would be the positive use of this knowledge, okay? But the black magic, the dark occult, is people that are using that same knowledge base that's very ancient to obtain illegitimate power and control. So the idea is that a true magician doesn't need power and control over other people because they are internally empowered, right? So that's the power of positive magic or religion or consciousness study. But the dark side is where people who are pulled by what you could call the the dark side of the force, they haven't got that internal power. They really are the betas and the thetas and and worse, okay? And they seek illegitimate power. They don't want to earn their way. They want to take and claim and own and destroy and 
and own and control and dominate. So that's that consciousness that operates behind black magic. So that's this. So that's why I try to tell people it's not that every symbol you see of all seeing eyes or hexagrams or crosses or all this stuff is all evil of itself. It's just a body of ancient knowledge that originally came out of nature. It was all derived from nature, right? All symbolism, all knowledge was derived from nature. And they just got the knowledge of how nature works, how consciousness works, and how the human being works. And that knowledge in the hands of a psychopath or a dictator or somebody that's suffering from like little man syndrome, you know, they will weaponize that knowledge to obtain power. And they don't care if they have to crush a lot of skulls in the, in the path to getting that power. It's like Game of Thrones on steroids. And so that's how I differentiate black magic or white magic is the black magician is seeking illegitimate unearned power and they have no regard for humanity or nature. And then the white magician is completely the opposite, is they're using that knowledge to empower, uplift, and free men, not enslave them. So they're soy boy betacucks. <laughs> That's what they are. Soy boy yeah. betacucks, 100%. Yeah, I mean, like, if you look at, if you look at Kill Gates, like, look, you know, too many people, oh, yeah. more vaccines. Revenge of the, of the dark occult nerds. Yeah, bro. Uh, I just want to, another thing that you kind of said in passing is you, you said the black pope can you tell the listeners what is the black pope when you refer to that yeah you ever hear those stories about the power behind the throne you know there's always that advisor like even i think of aladdin uh that story where you had the uh what's he called the king or whatever and then you had jafar who was like that evil twisted advisor that sort of sits (laughs) behind the throne and sort of mind controls the the guy the king and um, he has his own grand design of power. It's actually a good, some of those stories are very powerful because they're very um, true to life if you think about it, right? They're mm. like archetypes. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the, arch- I, I think of the J- J- Jafar archetype as mm. the black pope, where it's like, there's actually a black pope. This isn't just figurative and mystical. This is actually, so the white pope is uh, the, he's the PR guy. He's the guy out on the stage. He's the guy waving to the slobbering masses. He's the guy that, you know, all this stuff. But behind him are the black Pope and the society of what do they call themselves? The, um, the colleges of Cardinals. That's what they're called. The college of Cardinals and the college of Cardinals is just another layer that represents some of these other more hidden nocturnal groups and elite families. There are bloodline families. You can't just join these groups. You have to be raised in them. Right. And so they are the, the shadow that nobody sees. They're the power behind the throne. That's just a good description. To get into the details of it, there's been uh, a few different, in the last uh, 100 years, there's been only a few different black popes that have been named. The public story is uh, totally different than I think the real story. And basically what we're looking at is that that would be the closest you're going to get to what we call the Illuminati, if, if you're to ask me, is these black pope and these Knights of Malta and some of these Vatican orders. Yeah, it's it's. I'm always fascinated. What's really, where does it end? It, it does it end with some type of non-human force that has, you know, possessed these people, 
you know it's so like uh you have the i guess gary wayne kind of he talks about the nephilim and a lot of guys talk about the nephilim what you don't have to go super deep if you don't want to but what do you what do you think could be like at the tippy top of the pyramid i know it's a little, now we're talking a bit more speculatively yeah yeah that's a good speculation i'm actually going to finish the last three chapters of the series with that speculation mm -hmm. so the la it's the last three chapters are going to be three different theories that i have as to explaining this evil okay because everybody's going to ask the question why would they do it why are they so evil blah 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 who is this what's really going on well one explanation the first explanation is the psychopathic explanation so we're dealing with it's a human problem it's people that have bad wiring. They are psychopaths. They're control freaks. They're those beta cucks you're talking about that just want power. And they got really, really sophisticated in how they're going to do it. And in the process of achieving power, they kept selling more and more of their soul, meaning they stopped caring about humanity and nature. And they started to see themselves as separate and above all of that. And that could explain the level of insanity and the level of evil and brutality and genocide that we're seeing from these people. Okay. That's one explanation It's just, yep. It's just a bunch of psychopaths and sociopaths that are maybe interbred too much over history. And you know, there's just a bunch of screws loose basically. Okay. And most people I think would be more comfortable with that explanation. I'm sure you'd agree. Christian is like, if I just said, yeah, we're just dealing with yeah. a bunch of psychopaths sitting around dark tables of councils and whatnot that want power. Yeah. The next phase would be what you're hinting at, which would be bringing in sort of maybe a spiritual or other dimension to this, which actually is interesting because in many of these occult circles and Masonic orders and these ancient legends from these types of groups, there's a lot of discussion about performing seances and rituals. You know, you think of the Thule Society in Germany with Hitler, they were very much into the occult. And by the way, some, most of the top Nazis in Hitler's regime were Knights of Malta, and they were completely Ooh. supported by Rome and the Vatican. The Ooh. Vatican actually sponsored Operation Paperclip, which was known as the Vatican Rat Lines, which brought Ooh. a lot of the top Nazi occultists out of Germany and into the U.S. and around the world. But anyways, Ooh. that's a segue. The, the idea here would be that they believe in interfacing with other worldly or interdimensional beings that they do a lot of these rituals, even the sacrificial rituals of children and animals and, and people and stuff. Um, even they, some people believe that many of the wars of history are, are nothing but occult rituals, blood sacrifice of, of the best. If you can sacrifice the best and brightest and con them into going to run at each other on the field over a yeah. bunch of stuff, as noble and brave as those warriors are, these people sit behind the curtain and laugh because that's a ritual for them, right? Mm. Well, who are they doing the ritual for? Well, it's, yeah. it's like every cult and religion. They believe in a sort of deity or a spiritual hierarchy of some kind, and they pay homage to that spiritual hierarchy by various rituals and prayers and things that they do. So we could explain it there that, yeah, maybe there is sort of like a mind parasite or there's a, a sort of possession, demonic possession going on. Uh, or we're dealing with these archons, you know, that yeah. the Nag Hammadi talk about and the Gnostics talk about. Mm. There, there's that level of it, which is a lot of people in a religious mindset would go, yeah, I think it's angels and demons. I think it's spiritual forces and, and all of that. And then the third option is a little more nuts and bolts. It's honestly the option I lean more towards, although I must say I'm actually thinking it's a combination of all three of these options I'm giving you. Mm -hmm. It's basically the idea that we're dealing with something not human. 
or not of this earth physically. Mm -hmm. We're talking physical, extraterrestrial, basically infiltration of this planet. That may have been an explanation to these ancient scriptures where if you don't just take them so literally and you look at them as allegorical stories describing a real scenario, just using different languages and different cultural motifs and different religious mindsets and whatnot, if you see the common denominator between what is said in the Bible and the apocryphal works and the book of Enoch and all of that about fallen angels and all this stuff. But then you go over to India and you look at their mythology and they talk about this stuff, you know, the Mahabhatra and everything about battles in the heavens, war of the gods. And then you go to ancient Egyptians and you go to the ancient Babylonians and you go all over the world. Every culture on this planet has a story about advanced beings visiting the earth from the heavens and interfacing and interbreeding with mankind. And many of them describe these heavenly forces as being the beings that gave man agriculture, knowledge of metallurgy, knowledge of how to build civilization and all of this and, and, and much of that. And so if you kind of zoom out of the religious perspective for a second and just think objectively and go, well, they can't all be right because they're telling some slightly different tales and they have their stories. Like, But what if we realize they're all telling you the same truth through the lens of a cultural allegorical myth. Yeah. So it doesn't mean the myth is just a myth and it's just a fun campfire story. It means the myth represents the oral tradition of stories that were told about events that did occur. And ancient man, limited in his knowledge of the universe, would look at anything that seemed even a little bit more advanced than himself as being the gods, as being from the heavenly realms. But what if it's as simple as a sort of Star Trek Vulcan-like situation where we basically had an advanced group of scientists visit this planet, see it for the resources that it had, saw there was a primitive species here, and started an operation of genetic alteration and essentially leaving different bloodlines in place to be their representatives to be able to control this planet as if a farmer would control a farm. And that, 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 that's the third option is it's basically the extraterrestrial option. And it, it came from the quote that I opened the, the series with in the actual trailer. If you go to the cult of the and you watch the series trailer, I open it up with a quote from the great Charles Fort, who was an American occult, uh, paranormal researcher. And he had said this interesting quote about how he speculated about how the fact that humanity is someone's property. And that we belong to something and that mm. something came and uh, essentially took control of this planet and operates clandestinely through their agents. And um, who knows what their designs are, right? And so I'm, I'm basically trying to roll these different options out because as I go through my research, that question you've asked me is what's plagued me is how do we explain evil? How do we explain the origin of evil? How do we explain how you and I have no grand design on the world, but there are people that do? And they're very successful and they've been in power for centuries. And it seems as if there's something else that's much bigger than all of us going on behind it. So maybe it's a mix of all three. Maybe it's one or the other. Everybody yeah. can pick their favorite one in the end. But I think that just gives you the picture of it's that big that we're already going towards like demons and angels and, and psychopaths to try to explain it because it's got to be something like that. Otherwise, you know, what I've seen, the evidence of this level of evil I've seen there isn't really a human explanation to it. Yeah, bro. It's like, th this is one of those things that it does 
play when you get deep enough into the research it does play you because you you need at least at the at a normal human mind level a regular human being not a non-psychopathic being you you need to reconcile why is all this happening in my personal journey i'm i am of the kind of persuasion that we reincarnate to 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 the earth <coughs> whatever realm this is and i i believe i believe that you know it's for our own good and i believe that we we have no idea what god's mind is all about so he, he, like if you look at nature if you look at the death and destruction that builds life through which life arises it's a constant mm. battle it's a constant war of death destruction and, and beauty as well so to to god you know the suffering of a, a few billion people for a few hundred years or uh, whatever it, it's 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 nothing you know it's like god may it it merely this experience may be merely god experiencing its its infiniteness and it, that includes the the most beautiful and the the most repulsive the vile disgusting things and that's because the the all is encompassing all of those it's like you literally could be like a tiny minuscule dream in the, inside a thought inside of a dream inside of a thought of the creator and that that may be all that there is but these things you know we need we need some type of i believe we need some type of reason for this to happen we have to figure it out i think that's human nature at least in this current uh, incarnation right but um yeah yeah. That's interesting. Um, just really quickly, that's an interesting theory. And I, I think about that a lot, that there is a purpose to evil. And that's the question you're asking is that in some way, um, we are designed to combat it and try to route it out of ourselves and route it out of our governments and route it out of our world. But at the same time, without the motivation that seeing that great evil brings, nothing really would progress because humanity would drift back to just, you know, Chilling. Look at what people do. You're just being lazy and doing nothing, right? Yeah. So you almost need, I think of it like the way they create those katana blades, the katana sword, right? It's not something you just take some metal, plunk it onto a handle and it works. Like you have to temper it through smashing it thousands of times, folding the metal, putting it under fire, putting it under pressure to create yeah. the, both a sharp and durable blade. Mm. but that is also flexible. So it doesn't just crack when you smash yeah, yeah. through something. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that, that process or the way they make a diamond. Right. Mm. Um, and even when you hear all this personal development stuff, they often use like, Oh, the challenges in your life are the best fuel for you to grow to your ultimate strength. And, um, so that's why I believe that, um, there is something more going on with that, that is much bigger than all of us. And, uh, I, I think that, it could be a much bigger purpose than we think. Yeah. But that being said, we should still combat evil with every fiber of our being. <laughs> uh, exa I, I, exactly my thought, because if you look at the new age movement, a lot of that has been designed to like, just meditate, you're improving the world, think happy. And dude, this is where I fell in love with Tassarion, is when he said, fuck positive thinking what about positive <laughs> action when i heard that i was like shit like what what's more important positive thing because i was always like 
reading these books since like I was 19, you know, Eckhart Tolle and stuff. And I, I, in hindsight, I'm like, okay, there's a lot of BS there, bro. But like when I realized, yes, positive action, that's when I was like, this guy, these guys are epic. I'm subscribing to Unslaved, man. So yeah, I, 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 sorry, my, I, I veered off the my thought. So yeah, the New Age movement has also been infiltrated. There's a lot of great stuff there. Mm. But we are being, again, conditioned, socially engineered to just take a, a back seat and, you know, the, let the events unfold. And just the anger, uh, it's like Mark Passio talks about the sacred gift of anger and the divine masculine has, is being you know, just pushed out of men, right? So uh, I believe you're you're exactly right. Well, it, it might be like a, a dream in God's mind, but you still have to play the role in this grand theater. I believe so. I completely agree with you, brother. Well, yeah, what? and that's true. The the new age and all that. Like, it's funny how it's like mold. It's like weeds that grow that when you don't tend something, when you don't keep it clean, when you don't sanitize your mind, the mold grows and you become angry and depressed and, and, you know, or you become uh, easily programmable, right? Same with our civilization, same with our countries. You know, when we weren't paying attention, look what happened. Our whole government yeah. got captured. Our whole yeah. media got captured. Our whole, look at what the crimes against children that go on while we sleep, you know, and what do they say? Evil persists when good men do nothing. Mm -hmm. So maybe us confronting this evil, maybe this time that we're in, which has been predicted by even many astrologers and many prophecies as being the time of revealing, that's the age we're in. That this is an age that needs to happen so that all those things that we're choosing not to see come to the surface so that they can be healed so that we can get the weeds out of the garden so we can clean it so the mold doesn't grow that this is what we're supposed to do we're ultimately gardeners you know and we've just lost our role because yeah we we have a, another enemy on the board that's playing a game with us psychologically that we're being manipulated we're being distracted we're being put in fear we're but that's their that's their mandate and you know if you think of that sort of in a karmic law they believe that if they can convince you of a lie and you behave according to the lie, that they didn't break any natural law because you did it of your own free will. You didn't do the work to become intelligent enough to spot the lies and see the deception and see there's a predator amongst us. And so they go, hey, we've got carte blanche to do whatever we want. And there's no repercussion coming our way as long as humanity sleeps. So we're going to get away with, and that's our job. So in a way, maybe this evil is Actually, whether they know it or not, they might not understand what you're saying because they're just psychopaths, but they're being employed by the good to force us to become more good because what motivation do you have to be good unless you're confronting evil? It's a weird paradox, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty deep. Uh, I definitely have to like think about that a bit more. I would definitely be re-listening to this uh, interview very soon, which I normally don't like because I... I I just am very self-conscious, but uh, anyway, <laughs> Chap, you know they say you should never meet your heroes because you'd be disappointed, bro. Bullshit. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes, sometimes it happens, you know. But sometimes, no, you, you know, some of the people. There's a lot of good people out there. Let me just put it like that. And yeah. I've met and I've been honored to work with many of them. Yeah, bro. You're definitely like you're. 
true modern day hero in my opinion. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's continue on. So I want to tie back something you also mentioned earlier. It was one of the questions I wanted to ask you, but I want to tie it in with the next ones because you also touched on that. It it almost seems like you you knew what topics I wanted to cover today. So the <clears throat> chapter four of Cult of the Medics, you delve into slightly darker stuff. So the nature slash origins of evil. So we touched on that a little bit. The now it also you also discuss the dark history of human sacrifice, human experimentation, bizarre cult rituals, mind controlled crowd control, the one versus the ma- many, the psychic war and consciousness, and the warrior path. So uh, talking about the dark history of human sacrifice, human experimentation, bizarre cult rituals. And if you can tie in what is the religion of these folks, you know, these controllers, and what is the purpose uh, of the human sacrifice in this experimentation, this really weird, sick shit, basically. It is, yeah. Yeah, chapter four is a heavy one. I think it's the longest chapter of the series. And I just try to feature what's really shocking to people would be if I said, that's the PG version of that episode. Like that's the best that's I made that I tried to go into that cause I needed to show people some context here. Okay. But I, I kept it as, as palpable as possible so that you could sit through it. But there was so much footage and so many bits that I rejected because I'm like, it's just too dark people. Yeah. Nobody wants to know this, you know, even though it's true. But the reason I did it was to establish something, which is that, we have this cartoon view of history because of Hollywood and all the fairy tales and everything and the way people think that human prefer the human mind prefers to edit out the trauma, right? But the problem when you edit out the trauma is you're missing the lessons of history, okay? Because if we think about just human sacrifice for one, that is as age old as humanity and it's everywhere in the world no culture or race is somehow exempt from that crime and that practice. And I was shocked at how universal it was and how integrated, how normal it was for, for, for that. The different cultures from the Aztecs, the Mayans, the Egypt, you know, the Romans in, in, in medieval times and all the way up, you know, the Islamic world, the, the sacrifice. Uh, and then you get into the dark satanic, Luciferian, the cult of sets, you know, these underground nocturnal human sacrifice cults that you go, what the hell? Like I could have understood maybe a few freaky deaky things happening occasionally, but the fact that it was so pervasive amongst these religions, you go, what the hell was this? And what it was in one sense was it was a way of appeasing the gods. Cause you got to ask the question, man, who are we sacrificing these poor virgins to? Right. Yeah. Who? Well, they'll give you all the names. Oh, it's this God. It's Baal. It's, it's Jehovah. It's this, this and that you go, well, why are they so, why are they satiated by human blood? Yeah. Why is that the, like the pinnacle of your religion is sacrifice. Even you hear them, there's different kinds of sacrifice. If you get into more philosophy, there's the sacrifice of your individuation, the sacrifice of your reason, the sacrifice of your health, the sacrifice of your freedom. We're living in a time of sacrifice, weren't we? And the reason I did that comparison in a sort of extreme you know, way was to say, if we look at this from the lens of what we just went through with the pandemic, 
you were asked to sacrifice your life, your business, your faith, your sanity for the greater good. You were asked to sacrifice. You were asked to sacrifice your economy, your country, your everything, your freedom. Number one, you were asked to sacrifice it for the good of the many. And that brought me back to, well, what about the sacrifices that went down in Soviet Russia or the communist Chinese or the or Nazi Germany or like, and then go into history with many of these other cults where they would sacrifice on a regular basis, burnt offerings and young virgins into the fire and dismembering people in public to shed the blood. And it goes into these little caverns and it fills the pool of blood. And then the priest takes a cup and drinks the blood. And it's this whole, like, what the hell is this? Right. And, um, so that, that's what brings me to the level that these people, whether it's actually true or not, I'll let everybody think about it, but the people that do this from the ancient priests to the modern priests have a belief system that in order to satiate nature, the natural forces, or to satiate the gods, blood must be spilled, sacrifices must be made. And in a certain sense, you could go, that's just an extreme dark version of the good version of that story, which is that if you want to achieve something great in your life, you're going to have to sacrifice your baser desires, your baser instincts, your more carnal nature, right? You're going to have to sacrifice sitting on your ass and eating nachos and getting up and working out if you want to get healthy or, you know, there's that personal. And I think that's where the original knowledge was. It was like, well, this is about personal sacrifice, not to destroy yourself or destroy anybody else, but simply to enhance yourself, right? It's just delayed gratification. That's the ultimate form of sacrifice that would be a positive form. Well, this is different. This is like the, 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 the insane asylum rendition of that, which is, well, no, no, you have to, um, you have to destroy in order to build. You have to, you have to kill in order to bring life because nature does that. So I think it's like a twisted, in one sense, it's a twisted interpretation of nature because I believe that there were ancient uh, disasters and cataclysms and wars and famines that traumatized the human psyche a long time ago. And that ever since those major events, there's been a sort of change in the way our mind works. And we started to fear nature instead of work to be communing with it. And because nature hurt us, nature destroyed our cities, nature, you know, caused disease. So to instead of rebelling against it, they looked at it as, well, we need to sacrifice to appease those natural forces. And that's where it started. And then obviously then you had the more manipulative dark occultists that know that that's all bullshit, but that they use it as a means of controlling a culture, controlling a people. It's a sort of a, mm. a, a mass ritual that they know there's an effect on your psyche when you see someone getting stoned to death in the square or hanged for treason or, or cut apart by, you know, whatever. And it's a way that they ward off. Look at what they did to William Wallace. You know, we don't want to have anybody rebelling against our power. So we'll perform these mass rituals to cleanse the rebels from our society. And there's many modern renditions of this with the prison system and all that. But I looked at it as also these people at the top are fascinated by human blood and I wanted to know why. And there's even a blood business that people don't understand that there's people that profit in more ways than one off of sacrificing human beings and sacrificing our biology and our genetics to these Frankenstein scientists. And so I bring in an element, I think it's in chapter five as well about, or maybe, no, maybe it's chapter three, I can't remember where I'm also talking about this business of blood 
where they actually, I don't know a lot of people know, but the Red Cross, for example, the the place that you donate your blood to because you're a good hearted person that just wants Mm. to help people that need blood in the emergency ward for blood transfusions. Mm. People go in out of the goodness of their heart to bring their blood to these medics. And you find out that the Red Cross takes your free donation of your blood and sells 80%, upwards of 80% of the blood plasma that you donate to pharmaceutical industry, right? And then what do they do? They make drugs and vaccines out of that blood plasma, and then they sell it back to you. And what if you find out that the blood supply has been tainted with all kinds of stuff for decades? And, um, you know, this gets into the whole AIDS pandemic and the whole thing and gain of function and really what that is. But just to quickly say, did people know that 80% of your blood plasma doesn't go to helping those poor people that you're trying Probably to help? Probably not. That they profit. So that means Red Cross takes free donations of human blood and then profits off of the sale of that blood to pharmaceutical companies who are in league with those groups because who started the Red Cross? It's right in the symbol. Mm. Uh, you, you, They're in league with that. And then they profit again off of the drugs and the pharmaceuticals, which also continue the threat of disease to continue ongoing. They don't eliminate disease. They don't cure anything with these drugs or vaccines. They perpetuate disease. And then they profit off the perpetuation of disease. Talk about human farming. Talk about human yeah. sacrifice. And what, did, what sold you on going in to donate blood? I'm not saying don't donate blood, but just know that literally a very small portion of that actually goes to where you want it to go. The rest goes to literally one of the biggest cults in the world and they profit off of it in more ways than one. So I tried to show there's an, and if I'm going to tell that story, I had to tell the story of just how ubiquitous this practice of human sacrifice and blood rituals and all this stuff is. And when you know that it's not so hard for people to to grapple with it because they think that you're just making up a bunch of conspiracy theories when I'm basically going, no, this was the history lesson they didn't teach you. That's what that chapter is all about. (laughs) And then human experimentation. Holy crap. Like who's experimenting on us? Who, why, what's the purpose? I mean, you could say, oh, well, they're experimenting on humans to, uh, you know, find cures for disease and uh, help progress the human mind and blah, 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 and help with what they're calling now. What's, what's Yoel Harari calling it? Directed evolution. So meaning, oh, we're going to be the gods now. We're directing life. We're directing it. We know how to manipulate your genetics. We know how to integrate you with nanobots and AI and all of this. So experimentation happens for more reasons than one. Even the, uh, I got into the mind control experimentation programs like MKUltra, MKOften. Some of these programs, they actually went and recruited occultists and witches and all of these different types of sort of more uh, occult groups into those programs to try to find out the knowledge about how they manipulate their group, right? So these are all experiments on mind control and how to induce behavior that isn't natural in humans, how to uh, direct you against your natural will to follow their will. That's what those experiments were all about. So what was the result? Well, now they know how to mass mind control a population or even individually create these Manchurian candidates, right? So the experimentation is done on humans in the same way that experimentation is done on rats and mice in the science labs or cattle on a farm or whatever. And I guess I look at it like 
if we are the dominant species on the planet, us humans, and what look at what we do to nature, look at how we experiment and sacrifice nature for our survival. What if we aren't the head of the food chain? What if there's something that operates above us, mm -hmm. whatever that is, that operates the same way we do to nature, they're just doing that to us. And we are the lab rat. And in order to establish that, we had to go into ancient history and show people just how deep that rabbit hole goes. And if, so what we do to nature for survival is what you said, but when you actually also factor in what we also do to nature for entertainment, uh, yes. that's where things get scary, dude. That's right. Yeah, survival's one thing, right? But factory farming and some of this other shit is a totally different thing where you're operating now outside of the laws of nature. And I think of it as, well, there's a repercussion for that. And maybe that's part of why we're experiencing what we're experiencing, right? Yeah. But just knowing that there, like, I, I didn't even want to get into it because it was just too dark. It turned my mm -hmm. stomach, the subject. But in that chapter, I was also going to start getting into like organ harvesting and that whole trade. Yeah. But I literally felt good with just mentioning it. <laughs> And going, yeah, if you want to go down that rabbit hole one Friday night, you know, go ahead. <sighs> but just know that it exists. I think I've established the case that there's essentially, we're essentially a mass human industrial farm. And that, mm. that, that's not our destiny. That's not our nature. That's not just a product of coincidence. That something turned us into this. Mm. And uh, I want to know what it is. And that's really what we're trying to uncover. Actually, that that's... Exactly brings uh, to mind a quote I saw in chapter uh, nine today, as I was skipping around from Vernon Howard. Human sickness is so severe that few can bear to look at it, but those who do will become well. One of the best quotes of all time. I think I've, I may have quoted it a few times in the series just because how relevant it is, because here's what happens, man. We need to know this we need to know how this evil works because otherwise, what are we doing? We're blindly trusting these people with our lives and the future for our children. And I want to try to show people, look, let me show you who we're dealing with here. Because when this whole thing started, I was always questioning going, why are they censoring top level doctors and experts? What are they, what's really going on mm -hmm. here? Because everybody's going, Dave, just trust the doctors. You know, you're not a car mechanic. So <laughs> wouldn't you go to a, a car mechanic for advice? It's the same with your doctor. Why are you questioning the doctor? I'm like, yeah, but there's other doctors questioning those doctors. So there's other perspectives, right? And I just got to that point where I said, people don't want to see evil. I, I've been doing this work for a long time, bro. And I, I try to show people like facts that are undeniable. It's not speculation. It's just, here's a fact, like go look at it for yourself. It's right on the World Economic Forum website or Bill Gates said it out of his mouth publicly. It's recorded like they're doing it. And people go, no, no, it's just crazy. It's conspiracy. And I'm like, how is it crazy? It's happening. And I realized, man, no, ma no matter how much evidence I bring, I could put pallets and pallets of evidence on somebody's desk mm. and they'd still go, la, 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 no, no. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? And I go, oh, right. We're dealing with psychology here. Yeah. It's not that I don't have a case. It's not that my evidence isn't strong or that I, have, I don't have rational speculation. It's that people don't want to see evil. They yeah. don't want to study it. They don't want to understand it. And therefore, what happens? It persists in the world. And here yeah. we are, yeah. evil running the show because good people are doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, an, it's part of our virtue. Like 
we're good. Therefore, we don't want to be hanging out learning about human sacrifice and all that shit. Why would we? We're good people. That's what evil people do, right? Yeah, yeah. But the fact is, if you ignore it, if you don't look at it, like Vernon Howard was saying, if you don't look at the human sickness, then you will never cure it. You have to. It's like if you got diagnosed with cancer and went, no, I don't want to say I don't have cancer. That's bullshit. I don't believe in cancer. It's an illusion. It's fake. <laughs> well, cancer just disagrees with you and nature's going to win. But if you would go, fine, I accept it. I'm going to look at it. You might find a way to save yourself. You might find a way to fix, fix that situation. So I look at it like our planet, our psyche has a cancer. And that's the human sickness Vernon Howard's mentioning. And only when you look at it, not through fear, not through, you know, some kind of sadomasochism, but through a, a, a desire to help. Just like the way a, a war nurse on the battlefield We'll have to look at some of the most ghastly injuries in order to go fix it. You know, that's what we need to do. And that's why I said, I have to bring in the cult thing. I got to Cause I was funny, just real quick. I was doing a research project on cults before the pandemic. It was in 2018, 2019. I was working on this for the unexplained and I was doing it for myself. And I, and I did a series called cults of death and power. It's on my Rockfin channel. And they're like four hour podcasts where I'm just going through all these different cults and showing you the blueprint of how they all operate basically the same way. And funny enough, the pandemic started and I kind of went, wow, I think this research is going to become very relevant. And lo and behold, <laughs> what did they do? They tried to make a global cult, right? Yeah. And, and so I went, while well, the people that I'm trying to show this to, to go, look, the World Health Organization is run by Bill Gates and China and all these globalists like don't trust them blindly. Let's look at all the facts. And people are like, no, no, no. I'm like, that's because they're afraid and they can't see out of that fear paradigm because they don't know about how evil works because they don't want to know. Yeah. But we need to switch that. We need to go, no, face it, look at it. And then that's when it can become fixed. And only when we admit it, only when we deal with it, can we get rid of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, that's kind of actually is an ex explanation why I am so I've been so interested in this research for the last several years and you you actually when you put it that way now I understand why because I'd be there like thinking why am I of all the things I could be doing right now why am I you know digging deep into like pretty dark stuff um but something else you said uh it's it's like um when you so we know the the current business oriented paradigm of modern medicine is identify disease and treat symptoms so therefore profit right that's the you know with the like that uh, south park episode with the, with the underpants gnomes identify disease and give poison step 2 step 3 profit you know yeah. but <laughs> the natural exactly. the naturopathic way is all about removing disturbances from the uh, factors that disturb obstacles to health so and the first step in the naturopathic model is to identify what those factors are right so that's right it, it, it actually makes a lot of sense like how else are people going to ever do anything about the current state of things if they're not aware of them. So you have to become aware. And that's why, you know, that's why I want to share your work with more people. That's basically why I have you on. Oh, well, thank you. And I, I agree. And I want to tell people when you watch the series, 
I do my best to keep it safe for your mind that you're not just going into some really dark places. Like I, I also try to balance it with the good because the other thing is people can become very black-pilled and filled with despair and hopelessness when they look at some of this stuff. And so I try to show them, no, no, no. Just as much evil as we've seen, there is also good in the world. Evil is not the only force at work here, right? Like here we are right now having this conversation and, and good people are listening because they want to find the answers and they want to seek the truth and they want to find a solution. That's good. So good exists. You can't just look at evil. If you look at it too much, I know of many detectives that I've known who live in the swamp of evil every day and they become very jaded and depressed and alcoholic and all this stuff. Um, I know others that didn't. And I think it has to do with the way that they balance their psyche, right? So when you research these subjects or when you introduce these subjects to people, it is crucial that you also show them the good. Never just show evil naked. Always show it alongside the good. Never show a lie naked. Always show a lie alongside the truth. And when you do it that way, you will be able to go into those dark hallways and you will have that spiritual armor on. That's how you put your, that's how I interpret the Christian version of put on your spiritual armor, that helmet of righteousness, the shield of faith, the whole thing. I love that. That, that whole thing is like, there's an allegory there that's really important to how we're going to look at what's happening. Cause let me tell you, bro, it's only just getting started this revealing. There's going to be so many dark things coming out to people to show them just how bad things got that I think if it all came out at once and it all hit everybody at once, most people be put in the hospital at that oh, point because yeah. it just, it's too much. But too much. if you do it while showing, Hey, alongside the history of all these ancient cults and predators and psychopaths and monarchs and popes and priests, uh, there were also good men and women from every caste trying to fight that evil. So we can look to their knowledge and read their manuals, their war manuals, how did you fight evil? How did you address that? How did you win? And you find out that some of the smallest individuals or like in terms of stature or it's, it's, it's the, the small little groups, the few who shouldn't be able to challenge an entire empire were able to do it and win freedom or win the truth on that day. And so it never takes the masses to, to overturn these tyrants. It only takes a small motivated few that are empowered, that understand it, and that are committed to their journey that can route it out. So that shows you that the way evil works is it just has the best PR. It just has the image blown up in your mind that it is this indestructible, omniscient force that's just, you're not going to be able to do anything. But that's how a bully projects themselves, isn't it? On the micro scale, they make themselves look bigger than they are. And usually they're the smallest man in the room psychologically. They just pretend they're bigger. That's why they're a bully. Because if they were already really a big, great man or woman, they wouldn't need to bully little guys, would they? Yeah. Right? So that's why I say, when I show you this, I'm also showing you the weakness of evil. The weakness of it, which is their hubris, their, their inhumanity, and their, the, the need they have to brag and show off and be what they are mm -hmm. and pretend they're something bigger than they are. That's how you catch it. So never uh, get jaded with the fact that you think that, that you're going to believe that evil is going to win. It's not going to win. It never did. It only lasts for a time. And then it's almost like there's a force of nature that eventually cleanses it automatically. And we're just here being a part of that. And look right now, how many people are waking up, maybe not to the big picture we're talking about, but they're waking up to the little things that really matter, that their government has been 
captured and lying to them and trying to work towards an agenda of human enslavement for power, for reasons of power, that their pharmaceutical industry is a criminal organization. It's a, a cartel that is run by the most elite, powerful people in the world and is very ancient, that their media is owned and controlled by what, like five corporations and four investing firms that all adhere to the same globalist agenda. And that we're learning, you know, the Epstein Islands and all that shit too. It's all coming out. The election frauds, the lies. And this is a good time. Even though we're seeing great evil, celebrate the fact that it's coming out. Because when evil gets exposed, that's when it's on the verge of defeat. Love it. Love it. Okay, but hold on a second, uh, David. Bro, like... What about global warming, though? If we don't do something about... If we don't start paying more taxes, how is the weather going to get gooder? I know, man. I, I, you know what? I think that if everybody really wants to stop global warming, they really should go get vaccinated because that <laughs> will help. And, and, you know, make sure that you pay taxes. Because yeah, paying taxes. taxes... I just don't know if people understand how, how powerful paying taxes to, to the billionaire class is, is effective in stopping the weather. It's ridiculous, man. There's so many scams out there. And guess what? They're all started by the same people. That's what's, that's when people are going to really go down the rabbit holes to go, wait a minute. The same people lying to me about the pandemic are lying to me about Ukraine are lying to me about global warming are lying to me about this and that, and this and that. What you go? Yeah, because this is, they're fighting an asymmetric fifth generation war and, um, they use information to do it and they need to, they need to find a way to get everybody on the same page. So they go, we need a threat to unite the world. They've written about this many times. We need to create a threat that will unite the world. And, and, and you, see, you hear it now where you hear these politicians admitting, and they've done it through the whole thing where they're like, or Klaus Schwab even, the pandemic was an opportunity for us to do a great reset that we already needed to do. Like, oh, coincidence. You know, it just happens at the same time. Um, and you go, Really? Is that really what it is? Or are you guys telling us a bunch of bullshit so that we become afraid of what you're telling us to be afraid of so that we toe the line and allow you to build a global technocracy? Like uh, we, we see through the scam. All right. So just remember, it's not one scam. It's a myriad of scams that are all started for the same purpose under the same umbrella. And um, <laughs> speaking of umbrella, it literally is the umbrella corporation from Resident Evil. Like that's how I, that's my favorite <laughs> motif to describe this cult. And funny, just real quick on that. I know I'm wandering, but it's kind of funny. The, if you look at that film cover for Resident Evil, it has the umbrella corporation. What, I'll just put it out there. I'm not going to answer it. What symbol is on the umbrella? All right, I'm going to have to stick it in the search engine to see, look at later. Yeah, look at it. Mark a note. And then go look at the symbol of the nice hospitalers and uh, get back to me. Okay. <laughs> <You almost laughs> oh, went, I see oh, it. I you see, see it. it, dude. It's right there, isn't God. it? Okay. All right, dude. Right Jesus in our faces. Christ. That's just next. But you see, this goes back to what you said a, a couple of minutes ago. The hubris, dude, the, the sort of cockiness with all the symbolism that's thrown in your face through, uh, uh, you know, the media, the Hollywood, music industry it's the in and anyway. and can i say something about it yeah, it's two things one it's their it's their arrogance that they like to brag okay two 
or maybe there's three. Two is it's an internal communication. Like a lot of this symbolism we see, it's an internal communication amongst the gang. Okay. And three, they have a belief in the laws of karma. All right. Mm -hmm. This is clear as day when you read any of this ancient Freemasonic literature and all that. They believe that there's a, they do believe in some kind of all powerful something. And they believe that there's momentum. So they have to tell us what they're doing in order to elicit our consent. It's all based on manufacturing consent. If they can manufacture our consent, then they're off the hook. So that's how they look at this. They go, you guys walked into the clinic and took these bioweapons. We didn't make you do it. You're like, yeah, but you said I'd lose my job and you said I would, and you tried to make me the big pariah of the society and all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, but you still made the choice. We just, you know, yeah, we lied and whatever, but in the end you made the choice to do it. Uh, you should have stayed strong. You should have fought back. You never did. So therefore you're, you are marking yourself as a prey animal. That's how they see it. Predators and prey animals. And they're the predators. We're the prey animals. And if the prey animal keeps showing up to the same watering hole, not noticing that they're being stalked for weeks by some big cat, then that's a free lunch. That's the, that's, that's karma. That's how they see it. So they look at it like we have to tell it so that you, they have told us through Hollywood, through many subliminal means that this is who they are and this is what they're doing. They've openly come out and had numerous scientific organizations sign off on the theory that the earth is overpopulated and we need to do something about it. And on and on we could go. So they look at it. If you go along with it, you're, it's fair game. And that, I believe that's, that's actually correct. It is fair game because it is up to us to resist it. The other side is you could look at something like the sadist, the sadistic side of some of these, uh, Serial killers, like think of Bundy and and some of these guys, a Zodiac killer, uh, Berkowitz. They they liked to show themselves. The whole point it was like they got off on showing themselves as to how evil they are to their victims before they would kill them. They would stalk them and and taunt them and and leave notes under their door and put video. You know, like they would do all these things that would entice the victim towards fear, and it was part of bringing the ritual into effect. And so there's that element as well, is that mm -hmm. they're trying to, they, they don't mind that I'm here talking about this. They don't mind that this information gets out because it helps them on all of those fronts. So that's how I think of it. Wow, dude. I hadn't heard that perspective before. But uh, uh, let, just very briefly, because we did say, I did say, I'll ask you, can you just give the listeners who may not be aware, what is the Club of Rome and what is the problem with the, ostensibly beautiful fairy tale story of we're going to have sustainable development and equity on the world and all that good stuff. Yeah. The club of Rome, there's a book you need to read. It's called the committee of 300 by Dr. John Coleman. I have that one. Yeah. It's a beaut. Uh, he gets into, there's a whole chapter on there. There's also a speech. I put it in uh, a bit of it in chapter one from him on this, mm -hmm. but there's a whole speech on YouTube of, if you just look up Dr. John Coleman on YouTube, watch that speech. Uh, he gets into it. He's made some qu comments like the club of Rome is a conspiratorial umbrella. He calls it an umbrella group that is operating to dismantle nation states on behalf of these, these globalists. And that the method they chose to do that was to use the scare of climate change and global warming as the way that they could entice people to sacrifice their freedoms. And at the same time, they did this thing in 
I can't remember what date it was in the seventies or sixties or seventies. They had this supercomputer where at least this is what they released to the public. They had this supercomputer that calculated the damage that would happen to the ecology of the earth. If the population kept on that same exponential growth trend and they basically in the computer algorithms, it predicted that the earth would cease to exist at a certain point if they didn't do anything about the population. So just, I think that's total bullshit. The, yeah. the, cause remember it's, if you put garbage data into a computer, it will yeah. produce garbage data out. So this is just their sales pitch. I think there's a lot of people in the group that believe it. They're believers. They drank the Kool-Aid. Mm. A lot of people believe it. I bet you Alexander Ocasio-Cortez believes it. I bet you they all believe it, but the people at the top that crafted it don't believe this. They're not that stupid. They just look at this as a warfare strategy to yeah. get everybody to basically toe the line and, and participate in this mass genocide. See, they can't, they can't actually achieve this population reduction without our consent. And so they put it on stone monuments in Georgia that, you know, I'm glad it got blown up. I wonder what happened there because mm. that happened what last year they got blown up somehow, yeah. but Either way, they put it in stone. They wrote it in scientific papers. They had Bill Gates do TED Talks on it. They had uh, publications like the Population Bomb that was basically chartered by this Club of Rome. I think it was Dr. Paul Ehrlich. You know, they pull these guys out of these universities and they bring them in and they fund them and they prop them up. And then they write all this crap about, here's the Population Bomb. This is what we got to do. And so when you have an organization like the Club of Rome that literally started the green movement, started the whole climate change movement and started this idea that we now hear people like Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab talking about with overpopulation. You got to look to the origin. And I think if Club of Rome was a more modern incarnation of that idea, but that their roots go to your Knights of Malta and all those guys. And um, they're basically one of the new mouthpieces. They're not designed to interface with the public the way, say, the World Economic Forum might be, they're designed to interface with the other elites and the politicians and the university professors. That's who they're... So they're on the next tier. And they are essentially chartered. I think it was uh, Aurelio Pecky and some of these guys who were all... They're all Knights of Malta, Vatican agents. And they bring these groups together. There's like a think tank that then creates propaganda and distributes it to the academic world. And then this is one of the ways that they've infiltrated our universities and our modern uh, thinkers with this kind of idea. Mm. So it's a top-down system. The Club of Rome is a huge part of it. The fact that it's called the Club of Rome, there was a legitimate Club of Rome in Rome, in the Roman Empire. It would be the Mithraic cult, the cult of Mithras. And uh, they guess what? The cult of Mithras, they're actually an underground cult, literally, they would hold their services underground and for many interesting reasons. This is all about the slaying of the bull and Mithras. It's very similar to Catholicism in many ways. Mm -hmm. And the Vatican itself is built on top of old Mithraic cults, Whoa. Uh, old Mithraic cult centers, right? Whoa. And so you just think of it like that never went anywhere. And what do those people believe? And when you find out that, they have a belief in essentially they want to bring all property into the jurisdiction of their cult, which is this Vatican. And they've been seeking this for a long time. And they realize that if you're going to take over land resources and wealth, 
you have to, people aren't just going to give it to you. This is why all the wars were fought, right? You have to get control of the minds of the people that live on that land, that live near or around those resources, and that actually create the wealth. So this way, we are servicing them. We are servicing the gods, the vicars. Mm. And so that's why I think that's how they operate. And I think the Club of Rome was just the way that they brought that into the intellectual class to start mind controlling them. So it's a little bit more elite, that group. And then I think above them, it just keeps going to the point where most of the names we talk about, like, oh, the Rothschilds or Rockefellers and all these guys. Yeah, they're they're there. They're important. They're powerful, but they're just agents. They're just, uh, if you can say their name and they're still in public view, they're just agents and managers that are working on behalf of these much more clandestine forces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested, bro. You you have a couple of kids, right? Your dad. I do. I do. Two What's girls. What's your yeah. two girls? Is it? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was two boys. Oh, I have a girl myself. We got almost, our work cut out for us, eh, Chris? Almost a year and <laughs> a half, bro. World. Yeah. So, what's your what's your plan for when they're older? How how are you gonna talk to them about these issues? Well, I start now with. Um, just the questions like, I mean, they were my, I, my oldest is 10 and my youngest is seven. And so my oldest had more, I guess, awareness of all of this through the pandemic than my younger one did. And we would have many talks cause this really affected her. Cause we'd be going to places and there's like playgrounds that are all taped off with police tape. And like, you know, this was extremely traumatic for children. The fact that all the adults suddenly had masks all over their face when you realize that children need uh, to see human emotion and human facial features in order to develop empathy and to develop a healthy psyche, I, I right away had to start trying to help save their mind, right, from mm-hmm. depression. And my daughter was depressed, and I was like, what the hell? She's a happy girl. Why is she depressed? Well, obviously, we were all depressed. So I started telling her basic things, but I would never... I would never tell her, this is what's going on. Like, let's watch this clip of Bill Gates talking. Like, we never got into that shit. Uh, I just asked her questions. I feel like that's the best way to teach somebody because I don't want to indoctrinate them either, right? I don't want them to just become carbon copies of me. Yeah. I want them to think for themselves. So I, I, the, she would bring up stuff. And she said to me once, she goes, Dad, why would we be wearing masks all the time when if we were supposed to have masks, God would have given us masks? Like that would have been part of it. And what she was hinting at there, which I was like, yeah, that's very insightful, was nature knows more than Anthony Fauci does. So nature would have given us everything we need. So this is really, and she was just noticing how stupid it was. And she came to that on her own. I didn't tell her anything about this. She saw that I'd be pissed about it and whatever, and that I wouldn't wear a mask and I'd get kicked out of Shopper's Drug Mart if I didn't (laughs) wear one. And she saw that. But I just said, I asked her questions. I said, what do you think? Like, do you think that that's going to keep you safe? Like, what do you think? And so I do that kind of stuff. So that's how I do it. And then I introduce her to the mystery. And the mystery is I want to keep her curious. The worst thing education does in our modern culture is they try to ruin everything by saying, we've already got everything figured out. There's nothing left to explore. Just listen to the experts and just live your life. I want her to stay curious. So I talk to her about you know, she sees my books and she's found like she found the Charles Berlitz book on the Bermuda Triangle or something on the Great Pyramid of Egypt or whatever. And wow. she just loves that stuff. And she found it naturally. I didn't beat her over the head with it. So she'd ask me about it and I would go into it. So our conversations are very much led by her, where if she has a question or she 
and she's got a very inquisitive mind. And, and I will just, I'll give her, I'll be like, well, one theory is this. And here's a guy that I know who talks about it from this perspective. So I never tell her, here's the answer. I always leave it open-ended because I, and then it works because she goes and starts to look at things herself now. And she comes back to me and goes, dad, remember that thing you were talking about? I found another source for that. Or I, so this is how I do it. And the other thing I do is I'm currently training them to become like John Wick level assassins. So that way <laughs> they are uh, immune from this world later on in life. So we, te- I train the martial arts. Uh, I'm excited to reopen the dojo. So it's more social for them as well. But privately I've been working with them and sparring with them and wrestling with them and like showing them defense and talking to them about the dangers in the world without traumatizing them, sure, you know? Sure. So that's kind of my overall approach. But my goal, I think number one is to just keep the curiosity alive in them because then they'll of their own will, will will because that's how it was for me nobody beat me over the head with it i found it naturally and i got curious and i'm just trying to do that for them i love that man i've got um my wife only let me have one bookshelf in the living room when we bought this new apartment we got so uh, i have we're tripping over my books like i have them on the kitchen table and and that's um, That's and like my, me. I got books all over the place here. Yeah, my my daughter, dude. I've got like I've got dozens of books that she's not ready for that I bought them while you know my I started buying them when my wife was still pregnant. So I'm not forcing them on her. I'm just I'm there like reading a book and she comes to me. It's like oh this one doesn't have pictures. I'm gonna grab one of these ones you got me. And she loves now. She she like sits me down. Goes over, picks up a book, sits on my lap. We're amazing. reading the book. Then she picks up, goes, gets another one. Read me this book. It's amazing, bro. But I think you're so right, man. Just uh, This is what I want to do. I want to just be an example. Not force anything down her throat. Be a light, you know, just like uh, an example. And, you know, they will do They will do the rest, man. I, 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 and the other, actually, it's funny you said about the martial arts. I, I'm very... Very soon, I'm gonna buy this small little punching bag, and I'm gonna like figure out where to put it on the balcony, and we're gonna get like little kitty kitty boxing gloves. We're gonna start doing like one, nice. two, one, two, you know, pass. You got to man. Yeah, man. It empowers them, and I think that's the key: empower them so they're confident and they know who they are. Introduce them to curiosity. I love that. That my daughter does that too. She'll see the cover of a book, uh, and she's like, "What's what's that about?" And then I'll just give her a little sketch, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm just kind of exploring this new weird theory on the moon, or this whole thing about the ancient Incas." Or, and she's like, "What?" And and so, and then I go, "Yeah, I don't know, I don't know." And I think it's healthy for them to see that we don't always know. Yeah, I think adults mm-hmm. portray this false persona to children that is very devastating, yes. which is that they walk around like they know everything. When look at the world, most adults are just children in adult bodies; they don't know anything. Yes. Yes. And you, so you, you got to raise children to become, look, I'm going to find out the answer. Then I tell Avery all the time, my oldest, cause she's, she's got a pretty brilliant mind. I can see already. And I say to her, I'm like, she goes, dad, how could we fix all this? What are we going to do to fix this? Or how do we, we need to invent time travel and all this <laughs> stuff. And I go, you know what? We've tried. We need you to grow up and go figure out the answers to it. I'm too old now. I can't do it now. But you, you, you could grow up and maybe fix one of those problems for humanity or, or you could go and make that discovery in those ancient tombs in Egypt that nobody made before. Or like, I try to give them that vision that Mm. opens the world to them and says, yeah, there's the, the the horizon is endless. We can, we can be whatever we want. And I think that's freedom. That's the way you start with freedom is give them 
the permission to be curious. Give them the permission to disagree with you. Give them the permission to think differently. And, uh, and And then nature takes its course from there. And just like how books fell off the shelf for me, synchronistically over these years yeah. where I'd be at a library and I didn't know what I was looking for. And I look at a book that was like on my foot and be like, what's that? And it's like a book that changed my life. Like yeah. I want them to experience that, not here's the curriculum. You must follow all this shit. Like, I just don't believe in that. Yeah. After starting to listen to the Unslaved podcast, I, at, at that point, m- many, many multiple times, I just have this, not even an epiphany is just a realization dude i don't know shit i don't know anything <laughs> I, and and like i'm listening me, me too but uh, uh well my uh, my daughter today i was reading the textbook i have this uh, it's a huge two volume 2000 page uh uh textbook of natural medicine it's called you know it's the it's what my favorite book and I was reading that today. I, I was just researching something for a presentation I want to record. And my daughter just came peeking over, you know, it's like, what are you reading, Papa? We were all like reading. My wife was reading. My daughter was reading. I was uh, kind of reading. And she's peeking over. And I just, she obviously, she's like not even a year and a half. She can't understand everything I'm saying, but she understands a lot. And I said, just said to her, baby, you're going to be an expert on natural medicine by the time you're a teenager. You know <laughs> nice. that, right? You know that, nice. right? <laughs> good, good, so good. beautiful, bro. David, uh, I have one. It's kind of this new segment that I, it's a question I ask at the end. So we always end on a positive note sure. that I'm planning to later on cut cut out clips and, and also share them so people can just listen. It's the solution stock segment that I started few months ago for the podcast so basically the question is what are you doing that others can do also to increase their freedom self-reliance autonomy and or resilience to the challenges that we face this decade and beyond great question i've said it a few times where i said you know the way out of all of this is to go in to go inward to find that you, when you hear the statement that the Christ made, that the kingdom of heaven is within, uh, I look at that as the kingdom of heaven. It's the, uh, the inner world and the outer world meeting. And that when you know that you have all the knowledge in you, health is in you already. Your body already knows how to heal you from disease and from injury. As long as you do the right things to nurture it, that knowledge is something that you can obtain from now for the rest of your life. And that it's, it's something where yes, you're learning from other people and other things in the world, but you're bringing it into yourself and you're integrating it so that it's relevant. So I try to tell people the solution lies within the solution lies in really discovering who you are, why you're here and not just following the crowd and what they're doing. And that when you do that, that's where freedom lives because there's political tyranny and oppression that we're experiencing, but there's also the tyranny of the masses, the other people that are trying to tell you, they're trying to convert you into their way of seeing the world. And you have to be the one that makes the decision for yourself, what you're going to take on and what you're not. And so it all comes back to you and it comes back the things that I do is first of all, I train every day, even if it's 20 minutes, 15 minutes, I'll do some stretching. I'll do some training because the, the movement of the body, working with the body, 
really helps the mind as well, I feel. And so I do a lot of that. And then I do a lot of learning. I always try to have the mind of a beginner. So I listen to different podcasts. I listen to different presentations. I listen to different theories and perspectives. I listen a lot to positive people as well. People who are telling you truth, but with the goal of helping to upgrade you. So put positive people in your, in your diary, put, read positive books. And by positive, I don't mean people that are giving you hopium. I mean, people that are trying to truly inspire you in this time. Um, so I try to balance out the research I do on the dark stuff with the, the stuff, the good news. And then I get out in nature as much as I can because nature is the greatest teacher. And uh, I, I remember looking out over some of the darkest days I had during this whole time. And I see the world going mad in front of me. And yet I look at the seagulls flying and the eagles and the trees swaying and the ocean coming in with the tide and the sun rising and setting and the moon going through its cycles. And I'm like, man, nature's just doing its, what it's always done. And so here we are going crazy, but nature is, is the best example of how we should be. So I say, get out in nature as much as you can. Go for a walk, get out in a canoe, go fishing, go hiking, go running, do something where there's no earbuds in. There's no phone with you. You're just a human being out in the elements. Start a campfire in your backyard or something. <laughs> roast some marshmallows. Get out in nature because we're so stuck in the digital world now. We're so stuck in the internet of things. And they want us pulled into that totally. And there's positives to it, but I think we need to get back to our natural roots as much as possible. And that will help to show you the answers to the questions of how do I take care of myself how do I upgrade myself? How do I better myself? How do I express myself? Those lessons are already there right in front of us. So, and then the other thing I try to do is smile at children. I know this sounds really trivial and simple, but look at the world that they've had to live in. There's kids that I know that were born into this world where everybody's wearing masks and they're all hypochondriacs. And I, I just say, these children need to see that there's good in the world. Mm. And if you are just depressed and angry all the time, that you're taking all the hope out of them and they're the future. So yeah. all you can do is when you see a child looking up at you, make sure there's no mask on your face and smile at them and just give them that reassurance. Maybe they're not getting it from their parents. Yeah. Make sure they get it. So do what you can to help inspire these kids um, and show them that there is hope. So yeah, go within, go to nature, learn to think for yourself, cultivate healthy self-knowledge and self-esteem and show these kids that the world isn't all dark and that there is good in the world. And don't be a soy boy better cuck. That was <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, that was the fun. That was fine. That was fine, goddammit. <laughs> the kids need us. Have a goddamn spine. Beautifully said, David. Thank you so much. Thanks, brother. Before we go, please let the listeners uh, know where they can connect with you where they can find all your amazing work, please. Sure. Well, first of all, Christian, I want to say this is one of my favorite interviews. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. I, I, I love your stuff, so I'll make sure to share it out. Keep doing what you're doing. It is helping, okay? Thank you. Bro. And second, if you guys want to find out what I'm into, you can go to my main website, which is dwtruthwarrior.com. That's the portal that'll take you to all the things I do. If you want to see the Cult of the Medic series, it's available for free. 
You can even download the MP4s and make clips out of it, put it on your own channels. I just want to get it out there. You can get that all at cultofthemedics.com. And then if you want to participate in our groundbreaking premium work over at Unslaved with Michael Tessarian, uh, you can go to unslaved.com. There's a fee for it, but I promise you it's worth every penny and more. And uh, we have quite the archive of very, very unique knowledge on that platform. So those are the three places, but you'll get it all over at dwtruthwear.com. Yeah, totally. Unslaved is awesome as well. Uh, been a subscriber for a year. So yeah, can attest to that. David, thanks you once again, brother. Thank you, Christian. Cheers, man.